our theme tonight is all things have become new. And so I'm going to read, hopefully without my glasses, I can do this. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Um, so we're going to be talking tonight about um, becoming a new creation in Christ, what that looks like for me, what it looks like for you, and also walking in the newness of life, as it talks about in Romans 6.4. I'm going to read that also, because these two verses just really go hand in hand. Uh, Romans 6.4 says, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in the newness of life. So, you know, I just think that, you know, everybody in this room tonight is in a different, you know, uh, area of their spiritual walk, a different place, I should say, in your spiritual walk. Some are seasoned believers, some are newer believers, some, you know, in between. We're all in different places, but we're all always walking in the newness of life. Uh, when we are drawing close to the Lord, we're learning about the Lord, we're growing, hopefully, in the Lord, which is what we're, what we're called to do and is what we want to do as believers. Um, I really love 2 Corinthians 5.17 because I love the idea of old, bad things passing away and, you know, new, good things coming in. Um, and this happens when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. It happens at that moment, but it doesn't happen in our lives necessarily immediately. That transformation takes time. It's, it's a process. And for me, it's, it's been a process, <laughs> for sure. So I'm going to talk a little bit about um, what the Lord has done in my life. But in order to do that, i got to give you just a little bit of background. So I didn't grow up with any knowledge of who God was. Um, we didn't go to church or talk about God in our home. Um, if we asked our parents what religion we were, because, you know, our friends said, hey, what religion are you? <laughs> Well, you got to give them something. So my parents told us we were Lutheran, but we weren't Lutheran. <laughs> we weren't Lutheran. We weren't, any, we weren't anything. Um, I do remember, though, I had an aunt that took me to church a few times, probably when I was maybe like six years old. And um, I remember learning that song, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know, for the Bible tells me so. And I just loved singing it. It was so fun to just sing that song. It just gave me such a warm, fuzzy feeling as a kid, even though I had no idea really what any of that meant. Um, I grew up back in the day when you could hop on the church bus and, you know, come to, down your street and your parents would let you go and, you know, you go to church on the church bus and it would bring you home. And so I did that a few times, but still with no, you know, no talk of God in our home, I didn't really understand what I was learning at church. Um, it was, it was really kind of confusing to me. I kind of like knew there was a God, but I didn't know who he was. Some of you guys probably can relate with that as well. Um, long story short, uh, I became Catholic in 1987, the year I became a mom, because I decided at that point, you know, if I'm not going to do it for myself, I've got to do it for my kid. I just had this gnawing feeling. I want my kid to know God. So um, I became Catholic. My husband's family was Catholic, and it just seemed like, the natural thing to do, even though they didn't go to church and they didn't talk about God, they were Catholic. <laughs> so I became Catholic. And I did that pretty much on my own for five years. My husband wasn't really interested. He had kind of gone as a kid and wasn't really interested in going. So I went by myself for five years and 
after that, after five years, I just really didn't feel like I knew who the Lord was. It was, it was just nothing against the Catholic religion at all. Um, but for me, I was seeking God. I was hungry. I wanted to know who this God was that everybody talked about. And I still didn't really feel like I knew who he was. So we moved actually from Norwalk to Corona. And um, I didn't go to church for a year. I didn't do anything. And then, of course, God in his little still small voice calling me back, calling me back. Where are you? You know, when are you going to come? And I had some friends um, recommend Calvary Chapel to me. And, you know, they're all over. And um, there was one in Corona, so started going there. And um, started going there. Oh, I'm out of order. Hold on. That's my last page. I'll get it. <clears throat> I think. <laughs> the problem is I, re I, redid, I reprinted my notes and I didn't number them like I was supposed to. I didn't, when I was going to Catholic Church, I didn't feel transformed. I didn't feel different. But when I became saved at Calvary Chapel, when I really truly gave my life to the Lord and surrendered my life to the Lord, um, I felt different. I was different. I knew something had changed. Uh, one of the first verses that I remember reading as a new believer was Romans 12:2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So I did feel like a new creation, but that process of being transformed, you know, was just really just beginning. In the Bible, transformation means change or renewal from a life that no longer conforms to the ways of the world to one that pleases God. And um, I really love that word. I had a deep desire to please God from the moment I put my faith in him. Those of you guys know me, you know I'm a rule follower. <laughs> and so, you know, seeking to be obedient is just kind of what I do. It's I was not the rebel child in my home. I had three older sisters who got in enough trouble that I got to watch it. I, I'm like, uh, I don't, that doesn't look like fun. I'm not doing that. I just, I just wasn't the rebel child. I was the one that, you know, got in line. Um, kind of like stayed under the radar, stayed quiet, out of the way type of thing. Um, I wanted to please my parents, especially my dad, so he would praise and show me love. And at least as a young girl, that's what I was kind of taught that that's how you earned love by achieving and doing good things and getting good grades and you know being good in sports and things like that so that's kind of the path that I took um, but when I learned that God's love is unconditional and I didn't have to earn it that was amazing it is amazing <laughs> um, his word showed me that no matter what you know, he loves me no matter what my behavior is, no matter what I've done in the past. He loves me, and he loves you. He loves all of us. Do you know that? Do you know that? Do you really truly know that? And do you accept that? Accepting it is, you know, sometimes a hurdle uh, for some. So I hope that you know that. I hope that you know that God loves you. If you grew up in a house like I did where you had to earn love by being good, you were really fed a huge lie by the enemy. Yes, human love is conditional. It is. It's unfortunately, sometimes, most of the time, it's conditional. 
but God's love, love is agape love. It's not based on our behavior, but it's based on who he is, and he is love. And I just think that's beautiful. So I had no idea how to walk in the newness of life before I became a Christian. <clears throat> I only knew what I had learned from all the people, you know, that I had in my life, adults that were in my life, who were, you know, not bad people. Well, maybe some were. <laughs> maybe a few. But they didn't, they didn't know Jesus. So I didn't have, you know, examples to follow. I had no clue. Um, and then I studied the amazing book of Romans. Um, I'm going to read... Romans 6, 1 through 11. For anybody that wants to follow along, these verses are amazing. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace might increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized in Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing that our old self was crucified with him, there's the old going out, <laughs> and that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again, death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Ah, oh, I love it. Those are amazing verses. The entire book of Romans is one of my favorites. Excuse me. So I think, I think the biggest transformation that God did in my life was in me originally as a wife. I've been married for 32 years. Wait, yeah, 32. <laughs> been with my husband for 37 years. We met in high school, so we've been together a really long time. But none, neither one of us were Christians when we met. And um, we didn't become Christians until 11 years into our marriage. And it's really, truly only by the grace of God that we're still married. I love my husband, and we are very blessed. But it, it, it takes the Lord to take two completely broken people, put them together in the same house, and try to make it all work. <clears throat> You make sure this is the right page. Nope. <laughs> nope. Sorry, guys. I get there. Ah, here we go. <laughs> um, I really cringe when I look back at my behavior as a wife in those first 11 years of our marriage. I grew up with a very dominating father, and I made a vow to myself not to ever marry anyone that was going to try to control me. For those of you who know my husband, Leo, he has a very even keel, even temper personality. He is like the same every day, day in and day out, no matter what's happening. At least it doesn't show on the outside. He is the most calm, passive person I know. Of course, unless there's a soccer ball involved, then that's a different story. <laughs> <laughs> 
but Jennifer, you can relate. <laughs> She's seen it. Uh, but he's really the opposite of high strung. His personality made it easy for me to dominate him. I was in control of everything when we got together, and it seemed to work well for a few years. I handled everything from our finances, taking care of the kids, taking them back and forth to school, school appointments, doctor's appointments, household chores, buying the groceries, you know, I, everything. And I worked a full-time job on top of that. It worked great, though, until I got tired. <laughs> And I began to resent him. I began to resent him because he wasn't being the husband that I had pictured that he would be. I wanted to be in control, but I was tired of being in control. I was exhausted. I don't really like to think about that time in my life because it was, it was hard. And I had created it. I had created that mess. <laughs> and I had no idea how to get out of it. So what, what would be the best solution? Change him. <laughs> if I change him, then our marriage would be great, right? If only I could fix him, my life would be easier, better. If only he would do this or that, you know. My life wouldn't be so hectic and busy. Um, I, and then I would ask myself, why? Well, why do I have to tell him every move to make? Why can't he figure it out on his own? Why can't he just see what needs to be done and do it? Why doesn't he understand me? Why doesn't he know what I need? <laughs> All these questions. I had no one to help me figure it out because we didn't have anyone, like I said, in our life that was Christian that we could use as a godly example. So we were, we were just completely winging it. Pretty much all the marriage relationships I had seen were a dysfunctional mess, and many of them, probably most of them, involved drugs or alcohol. So add that to, you know, that. But God had plans for us. One of the first things I learned as a new believer was that Christ was the head of the church and the husband was the head of the family. I was like, whoa, I have it backwards <laughs> completely. What am I doing? I was not supposed to be the head of the family. My husband was. Then, of course, the thoughts came flooding in. He can't, he can't do it. There's no way. He can't, he can't handle it. He's not ready. He's not equipped. But then God showed me through my willingness to be obedient to what his word says about his design for marriage, and his design for marriage is perfect, that I would just step aside and trust him. He would show my husband how to become the head of our house and the head of our family. It took a while, let's just say a while before I was ready to completely let go of everything. <laughs> But when I did, I was really amazed at the husband that my man became. He, he stepped up. He really stepped up. He became my hero. He became the voice of reason when there was conflict with our kids. He became the one I looked to for help in making decisions that affected my life. And we became, began to become the godly parents that our children needed. And thank you, Lord, that they were still young enough that we didn't mess them up <laughs> too bad. In the, in the beginning. <clears throat> God transformed me, and the changes that happened in me affected everyone in our home, and it was really an amazing process. It was the best thing that ever happened to me, and I'm, I'm so grateful to God's grace and mercy. I had been such a fool living by my own standards and my own rules, but God had plans for me, and he has plans for you. 
I wanted so bad to change my husband, but God wanted so bad to change me first. God tells us in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's, that's big, you guys. <laughs> that's, it's a few words, but that's a big, big scripture. <clears throat> but God knows. He sees. He knows our hearts. He knows we're human, and he knows we struggle, you know, with our fleshly desires and temptations. But he tells us if we truly love him, we will allow him to renew us and transform us in our own strength. It, it's very difficult. Um, it's, it's not in our own strength. It's, in his, it's his strength in us that gives us that ability to make those changes and be that new person, that new creation. We have to give our control of our lives over to the Lord. And sometimes you have to do that every week, every day, every hour, <laughs> every minute. <clears throat> Excuse me. That was really hard for me. Um, a really hard lesson for me to, to learn. Um, for any of those that know me, you know that I'm kind of a control freak. I plan out every minute of every day, make lists, check things off the list at a frantic pace, have all my little ducks in a row, and yeah, that's me. And my husband says, I don't just have an A-type personality, I have a triple-A personality. But I don't make excuses anymore. It's just who I am, you know? It's just, I just have to have it like that. But God knows. <laughs> he knows what I need. When he got a hold of my heart, things began to change. I made a little chart that <clears throat> you guys can't really see, but I made this little, like a little table of my, as I was preparing for this message, it's my first time doing this, and I thought it was kind of cool. So I wanted to share it with you. I have, on the left side, I have before Christ behaviors and after Christ. And so on the left, I just have a few here that came just very easily to me when I was thinking about what was I like before and, you know, what has God done in my life? I, before Christ, I had a critical spirit. After Christ, he gave me a spirit of grace. I could see people differently. I could love them differently. I could not be so critical. My, my father was very critical and very... Um, you didn't get constructive criticism. You got the cold, hard truth. <laughs> there was no grace. It was nice for, to learn that, especially just going through God's word and learning how much grace he gives us and that we can give that out to others. I had a judging heart, and God softened my heart. He gave me a more understanding heart. He gave me eyes to see that everybody has a story and that everybody's going through something different and everybody has hardships and you know, problems, and there's a reason people sometimes act a certain way. There's a reason they behave a certain way, and um, he gave me that understanding heart. Before Christ, gossip, I mean, who doesn't like a good gossip story, right? <clears throat> but I had to learn that that's not what the Lord wants us to do, and I had to learn how to control my tongue, and I learned, and I think it's James where it talks about the tongue, right? Where, boy, the tongue can be a big old wildfire and do lots of destructive damage. So I'm learning through the word to control my tongue, um, which goes along with sarcastic attitude. I, I was so sarcastic. I was terribly sarcastic, and I still struggle with that sometimes, especially on the 91 freeway. <laughs> 
Um, but the Lord has taught me to be quick to listen and slow to anger. And again, to just have that grace and understanding for people and just, just let it go. Let stuff go. <laughs> I hold on to everything. Um, before Christ, white lies were okay. Big compromises were okay. Um, but God loves honesty. God loves truth. His word is truth, and he teaches us what that truth is. So if we're following him and we're being obedient to him as his word calls us to do, we're not telling white lies. We're not telling big, big lie, any lies. <clears throat> and I had a really unforgiving heart before I met the Lord, um, especially to people that had hurt me. It was very hard. I didn't understand. Like, why should I forgive them? They hurt me. They haven't asked for my forgiveness. No, they don't deserve it. That was my attitude. But I learned, well, I, I learned first off that God forgave me of everything I ever did and everything I will ever do in the future. And I learned to forgive others. And uh, again, a process. Um, but... Boy, there's a sure a lot of freedom in that. I could teach for days on forgiveness because it's a big subject. And I pray that, you know, we're all learning together how to forgive others that hurt us, even if they don't seek our forgiveness, even if they don't think they did anything wrong, <laughs> which is usually the case. <laughs> so I set my mind on the things of Christ and made many changes in my life, but it took time. I'm not, I'm not there yet. I haven't arrived. I'm not all done. <laughs> I know God's not done with me. I'm still working on things every day. Sometimes I want to like beat my head against the wall like, why do you keep doing these things? <laughs> stop. Just stop. Uh, we're so stubborn. I see why he calls us a stiff, or he called the Israelites, I think, a stiff-necked people. <laughs> we're all stiff-necked people. <laughs> Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I love that feeling. I love that. I, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. With Christ living in me, I can now begin the transformation process and so can you. Every sermon, every Bible, Bible verse, every worship song, every prayer has changed me in some way. God has changed my heart in every way. And the more that I learn the, about the Lord and his ways, the more I grow and change. And sometimes it's a painful process. <laughs> sometimes it's not, but sometimes it can be a very painful process, that change, step, that stepping out in faith. I also want to read Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, because this talks about what the Lord has done for us. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. <clears throat> and you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, in which you form, whoop, sorry, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, Ugh. even as the rest. But God, 
But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus in order that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That is just packed full. I mean, he did that for us. And now I think we have to pay it forward. I think it's our calling to pay that forward and do and help and teach and help people grow and come alongside them and kind of meet them where they are and where whatever place they are in their walk and just help them along just love on people and help them along um, just a few years after i got saved my sister diana <clears throat> who had recently turned her life over to christ told me that she had been watching me and my husband <laughs> and how we live our lives and she decided that she wanted that kind of life too i remember the phone call I was completely stunned because I'm the younger sister and she was watching me. <laughs> I had no idea, yet God used that time in our lives and he showed me how to show her grace and mercy just like he had shown that to me so that I could be used as an example of what it looks like to be a Christian. And I don't, don't do that. <laughs> I don't say, say it to boast. I, I take no credit for that. That is completely the Lord in me. But I like to think that... Um, my decisions in, in following the Lord played a part in, you know, my sister and her walk with the Lord as well. And I have a very good friend that um, tells me all the time that I teach her how to show grace to others. <laughs> and although that warms my heart, I know again that it's only because of the grace that God has shown me that I can show grace to others. Before Christ, I didn't forgive. I didn't show grace. In fact, I really didn't think a whole lot about other people. I pretty much thought about myself and my life all the time. Um, do you guys know the acronym JOY, J-O-Y? For those of you who don't know, I'm going to say it because I mean, it's probably very, very elementary, but it, I learned it when I became a new Christian. I thought, okay, I got it. I got the order. Jesus, others, you. I'm last. <laughs> I'm not first. <laughs> I also want to talk about love. Because um, as we're beginning to study First Corinthians on Sundays with Pastor Michael, we're going to learn a lot about love. Everything we do, everything we say as believers should come from a place of love. I love this sign back here. That's amazing. <clears throat> and when it doesn't, life gets ugly. I see it every day. I see people every day being unloving to each other, whether it's on TV or, you know, people I know or in business or what have you, I see people being unloving, and it just breaks my heart. Um, Pastor Michael taught us a couple weeks ago that love is wanting the best for the other person. And I love that description because I thought, man, if we could all just want the best for the other person, no matter what walk of life they came from, no matter where, you know, where they're coming from, no matter what, just wanting the best for that other person. Paul spells out to us in Romans 12, 9, 21, how to do just that. Let 
12, what did I say? Nine. Yeah, okay. Romans 12, 9 through 21. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality, blessing those who persecute you, (laughs) bless and curse not, rejoice with those who rejoice, and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the low with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own vengeance, I'm sorry, revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink, for in so doing you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not overcome evil by evil, but overcome evil with good. See how much there is in God's word? Like, this is what we're supposed to do as Christians. I love that it's just a kind of a great how to do, how, what to do book. God transforms us. When God transforms, I'm sorry, try that again. When God transforms us, it should show in how we love others. One of the things I like about being around other Christians is that I always feel loved. I really do. I hope you do too. I think we're a very loving body here. (laughs) So how do we know if we have been transformed? It's about heart change. And we talked about this a lot in our CPR, um, which is Christ-powered restoration. It's not about um, that other kind of CPR. But it is about heart change. You can't change your behavior without having a heart change. Or you can try. You can try that fake it till you make it. (laughs) But it really doesn't work when it comes to love. Um, You really have to have that heart change. You've got to let God transform your heart and renew your heart. So I was thinking about what can we use to gauge our behavior to know that we're on the right track of all things becoming new. How can we tell other people? How can we tell if other people who say they're Christians have truly been changed? Because we need to have discernment. We need to surround ourselves with good, godly people. So we want to know if they say they're a Christian, have they truly been transformed? Have they truly been changed? Um, let's look at Galatians 5, 22 through 25. Some of you probably know this by heart. <laughs> But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. I just love how God gives us every answer we could ever want in his word. You think about, okay, what do we do about this? How do we do it? It's, it's in his word. You can put those things on a list, which I like lists, as you know. (laughs) You can put them on a list and use them to strive towards, you know, achieving them, checking them off, setting a goal, um, and reaching it. It's tangible. It's gaugeable. Is that a word? Gaugeable? (laughs) Is that a word? (laughs) I think I just made up a word. We can gauge our transformation 
progress by looking at those four verses. It says, if we belong to Christ, we have killed our fleshly desires and they no longer have, control, have to control us. If we live in the Spirit, which we do if we've confessed Jesus as our Savior, we ought to be walking in the Spirit. Walking is a verb. <laughs> it's an action word. It's not a let's get saved, be happy for ourselves, and not change a thing in our lives type of attitude. I know people today, as I'm sure you do, that say they are Christians and have zero fruits of the Spirit as evidence of that, and we need to pray for them. Um, it's not a judgment. It's a, my friend Bruno says, we're not judges, but we can be fruit inspectors. <laughs> I love that. The Bible's very clear on what it looks like to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. What does that look like practically? Remember my little behavior, behavior chart that I shared? That's how. Go home and make your own behavior chart and look at the progress that God has made in your life. It's really cool to see that. You surrender your life to, to you surrender your will to God's will. Every day, every hour, we already talked about that, and you allow the Lord to change you from the inside out, but you have to be willing. <laughs> God is not going to transform you unless you let him. He's not going to come in there with a bulldozer and take, take over. He's just not. That's not how he works. We have to surrender first. We have to open the door. Okay. I'm going to skip one thing that I was going to read because I have to read to you guys. The Lord, I know he gave this to me, um, so I'm going to skip my last scripture. And I, I want to read um, from this devotional that I read every morning. And it is my most favorite devotion, devotional. It's called New Morning Mercies by Paul David Tripp. And the whole entire thing, every page of every day, there's a day for every year, every day of the year is about grace. I had no idea you could write this big of a book about grace. <laughs> it's amazing. And August 22nd, this talks about the transformation, and then, and then I'll close. He says, don't be satisfied with anything less than all God's powerful grace is able to produce in you and through you. I know it's my problem, and I suspect it's yours too. We are too easily satisfied. It's not that we want too much from God. No, the reality is that often we are willing to settle for too little. We are content with a little bit of change, a little bit of growth, or a little bit of maturity. We settle for a little bit of biblical understanding and a little bit of theological knowledge. We say we love redemption and that we are thankful for God's grace, yet we become spiritually satisfied long before that grace has completed its work. Ouch. <laughs> If our parenting seems to be working, if our marriages are livable, if our jobs aren't terrible, if our finances aren't a disaster, if we have nice houses, good churches, good health, most of us are satisfied. But God is not satisfied. He knows that we will continue to need his transforming grace until sin is no more. We will continue to need his intervention until we have been completely transformed into the likeness of Jesus. We will continue to need the forgiving, enabling, transforming power of his grace until every thought and desire of our hearts is pleasing in his sight. We will continue to need his deliverance and protection as long as we are still susceptible to the seductive voices of temptation that are all around us in this fallen world. Our Savior loves us enough to continue to be dissatisfied even in those moments when we are all too satisfied. 
He will not abandon the work of his hands. He will not turn from his grace. He will not forsake his saving zeal. He will not relent until his, great has done, until his grace has done everything it can do in each one of his children. So you'll find yourself in situations you do not like. You'll find yourself having to deal with things you didn't plan. You'll find yourself dealing with trouble you never thought would enter your door. You'll face the unplanned, the unexpected, and the unwanted. The reason you will is because your Lord will be using all these hard and uncomfortable moments to wrench you out of your satisfaction, to cause you to esteem his redemption, and to create heart and life change that will not be created any other way. Your Lord pries open your hands and takes away your crutches and distractions. He exposes your weaknesses so you will cry out for what he knows you need, but what you have been willing to live without. Almost done. So thankful for all the grace he has done for you, but be dissatisfied. Don't quit before grace has completed its work. Cry out for more rescue, transformation, and deliverance. And be grateful that your Savior continues to work, even in those moments when you don't value the work that you so desperately need. I know it was long, but boy, wasn't that good. Every page is like that, but that just pertained so closely to what the message that Lynn asked me to give tonight, and I just had to share it with you because it was amazing. So um, thank you for being here. I just want to close in prayer, and then Lynn's going to come up and close this out for the night. Heavenly Father, Lord God, I just thank you so much for your transforming grace, Lord. I thank you that you don't ever give up on us, Lord, even when we're being what my husband calls knuckleheads. (laughs) I thank you so much for all the work that you're doing in my life, how you're continuing to renew me each and every day and giving me a new spirit. I pray for all the ladies here and those who couldn't be here, Lord, that you would do the same in them, Lord, and that you would just continue to love on them, be faithful to them, and they they would cry out and reach out to you each and every day, Lord, as they struggle as I do through this thing that we call life. And I just thank you for your message, and I love you with everything that I am, and it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.